When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Often people can feel maybe awkward reaching into a bereaved person. I think in these extraordinary times, the message is, you know, sort of suck it up. Don't feel so bad about it. Try. But the worst thing a person could say is, I'm not up for a chat just now. So on this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Orla Keegan, who is the head of education and bereavement services for the Irish Hospice Foundation. And she speaks to us all about how staff in hospitals and hospices and nursing homes are dealing with this and how they're finding different ways to help families cope with this transition, whether it be through video calls or phone calls or different ways that they can share in those last moments um, together, which is really unimaginable for the staff that they're they're lear- having to learn this so fast, but also for the families having to adjust to not being able to go to a funeral and watching it on their phone. I mean, this is something that if you had said this to us a few months ago, that you'd be watching a funeral on a phone as a common experience, I don't think any of us would have believed no, that. or wanted to believe it. Yeah. A lot of people do, as we talked with um, Gus Nichols and John Stafford before, like they do uh, FaceTime live funerals or Insta live funerals for people who can't be there. But mm. Now the fact that it's that is the norm is mm. almost horrific because it is the hug at the funeral. It's from my own experience, it was the people who turned up that you'd least expect, well, not least expect, you just didn't surprise. And it, I think it's also the huge comfort mm. of knowing how when people turn up to a funeral knowing that you're not alone and how much you love that person and that so many other people love that person too and that's a tremendously helpful thing that moving forward to know whereas now they're being denied that they are and i think orla speaks in a really wonderful way about how grief is going to change and it is changing how our coping is changing um how maybe our traditions will change as well around how we mark a death i noticed recently facebook um, have launched like a zoom like thing where people can go on and have a group chats on video and i think you might see people honoring the person there they might be doing it on zoom they might be doing it in all different ways mm. But we thank Orla so much for joining us and talking about this very difficult, difficult time and how it's changing our world. (laughs) 
The COVID-19 outbreak has touched the lives of thousands of families across Ireland, and more than ever before, the prospect of an unexpected loss is a growing concern for many. Grief is complicated even on the best of days, but now our lives are restricted in so many ways, and the way we grieve has changed dramatically. Our guest today, Orla Keegan, Head of Education and Bereavement Services for the Irish Hospice Foundation, joins us today to talk a little bit about all these huge changes that are happening. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Orla. Thanks, Sasha. Um, I guess the first question is, none of us were ready for this, <laughs> and, I, and I can't imagine that you guys were either. No. I mean, it, it must be a huge thing to take on when grief and loss changes so dramatically overnight for, for a, the, the world. Absolutely. And I suppose, I mean, in the Hospice Foundation, we're in an unusual position, like we're a a support organization and we're an information and education organization and we do a lot of public engagement. Um, But as you said, this um, tsunami has arrived and it's Mm. put us back on thinking, oh, well, which of our advice is still current? Um, How is this extremely different situation going to actually play out for people we don't know how long it will last we don't know if any of the restrictions will change or become more severe and that was certainly a worry at the at the early days um, we know I suppose we, we and we did a lot of thinking about it and, and we know at the end of the day that even an expected death comes as a, a shock mm. to people when it actually happens. There are some maybe similarities in the patterns. We know that grief is all about adjustment and, and adjusting your life and accommodating into a brand new life. And that's hard because none of us invite in change. Mm. Um, and I suppose we also know that the support of others is really important um, in grieving. So we did um, we did agree that those lines still stand, and then we were looking at well, well, what's changed? Um, and I think a number of big changes would be the extent to which you were able to be present for the person who died yeah. before the death. Um, and even if it worked out that you were able to be there, I think the fear of not being able to to be there was very heightened for people. Yeah. Um, and then there must think, be something mm-hmm. that's very heightened for both the person that is dying, because in yeah. the in the mindset that they would be in at that point, um, mm-hmm. how much or how little do they know of what's actually going on and why their loved ones can't be there with them. That's it. I mean, and I suppose, well, we we know that in Ireland, uh, a large number of people die every day anyway, and some of them will be acknowledging that they are dying and some will not be able to maybe um, totally um, accommodate or understand that that's what's happening to them. Um, So we're trying to focus on all of those deaths as well as people who who may be dying of of COVID because every death in Ireland has been affected by this in terms of who can be around them. Um, There's a lot of work being done, I suppose, in terms of particularly for people, say, in nursing homes and in Mm. hospitals as to how you can connect in without being 
physically there um, and physically visiting um, in order that you can keep company with people um, if they can converse obviously uh, what we're doing now having a, a zoom meeting or a facetime is very important mm. um, phone calls um, older people might be more comfortable with um, if if two-way communication is is a challenge, there are still other things we can do, and uh, making sure that a person's favourite music is available to them. Maybe doing a voice recording and and having that available, um, or more symbolic things. And um, so one of the the um, a lovely example from from the UK, and I think they're now doing it in one of the hospitals here is um, providing little handmade hearts um, and one goes to the family and one stays with the, the, the person who's approaching the end of, of their life. Mm. It must be very difficult without human touch at yeah. the end. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. And, and, and I think any of us would, you know, in your, in your wildest dreams in terms of what you would like for the end of your own life, you want people to be there. Um, we're, as a foundation, we recommend that all of the organisations would work, like that's hospitals and nursing homes, would work insofar as it's absolutely possible to make sure that there's one person there with someone who's mm. dying. Um, again, touch is through PPE equipment, so it's a different type of touch yeah. now. Um, but I think to bear witness to a death is, is, is such an important privilege and an important role in a family. I mean, that one person who's there then becomes the, I suppose, the caretaker of that ending um, and that they have to transmit that and communicate it to, to the family. So there, there really is something important about being able to, to be there and bear witness and um, acknowledging how difficult it is. This must be an unbelievably difficult transition for the staff because so quickly they're learning, they're having, to, first of all, they're becoming, I mean, as someone who has experienced um, hospice with both of my parents, it's the staff are, they play such a huge role anyway, but to play even more of a role, to play this essential role, these are the people that are surrounding you. Um, how, how has that been, that transition to try and teach them first of all about these new ways of communication and these new procedures and these but also just emotionally supporting them it must mm -hmm. be very difficult mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think there, there's no doubt about it you know that we're all humans first before we take on any profession um, and again if we think about who are the staff i mean in you you've mentioned hospice but we could also talk about acute hospitals and nursing homes and community hospitals so the people who make a difference to individual patients and their families are not just the doctors and the nurses and the, and the specialists they are also the you know the cleaning staff there's the care assistants there's the cooks so people who bring humanity and all of those have been affected as well um, i think again it's about heart the the motivation to do the right thing um, has been a huge resource to, to people in their learning about mm. what to do. So they're curious, they're actively looking for ideas on what to do. Um, in, in hospitals, for example, the social workers have come together and they have developed a whole range of resources for different things that, that they might do and encourage other staff to do. Um, and that could range from you know, practical tips on communicating through to maybe just small, 
um, visualizations that, that a patient can use um, to, to summon a, a family, you know, mm. to say you're there for me just beyond the door. Um, and and to connect through the heart, and mm. um, so and that is a very different way of working. Um, mm. You know, a virtually um, mediated love rather than mm. um, a face to face love. I have a friend um, who's a nurse and has been witness to sadly a lot of people passing in the last few weeks. And you know, he goes home to his wife and his two kids and carries that with him you know, yeah. As, yeah. as the week goes on. What sort of support do staff have? Because it seems that suddenly, whereas in a hospice, yes, you would expect to be on the front face of people dying because unfortunately that's the nature of where they're working. But what support are they getting? Um, and again, I'd say in, in, in hospice, because of their practice and their focus, um, there, there's a very good baseline Mm. Um, for understanding the impact that individual deaths can have on staff members um, and for ways of looking after yourself, but also having the organization to support you. So maybe team debriefings, employee assistance programs and so on. Um, it's arguable that those practices aren't as developed in other areas where we're now seeing the the, the huge volume of deaths. And we know that they've been happening in nursing homes and in hospitals. Um, so in fairness, the HSE have been doing a lot in terms of putting um, uh, resources in place through the managers. Um, and um, some of them, like for example, St. James's Hospital has a dedicated support line that staff can use just as individuals to debrief. Mm. Um, all of them have um, employee assistance programs that they have access to um, and I think it's worth saying that this is you know this is still going on um, so we, it's 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 about developing um, a medium to long-term approach um, to help staff um, feel supported and feel I suppose individually um, resourced um, as they yeah. re-enter their careers um, because um, everybody works on crisis and adrenaline for a while and you mm. can you can manage that but as things begin to um, I suppose plateau out and um, that's the potential of things actually re revisiting um, and, and I hear you about your friend going back to their family. You're bringing really the sort of things that, that other folk will never see in their whole life. No. You're bringing them with you into your family. And, and sometimes you need that for respite, you know, and to be able to, to look at the positives and the nurturing part of your family and keep your, your work part um, away. Mm -hmm. um, so there's in different it ways... In terms of grief, Orla, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. You know, obviously our podcast and why we created it was to sort of get people to be talking about grief more and sharing their grief and their experiences and being more open about it so that they didn't feel as alone. Um, but I worry, I'm very worried, to be honest, that this will push things backwards in a way because people are experiencing grief in isolation. So they're they're not able to meet a friend for coffee and sit down. Mm. And, and sometimes you do have, sometimes... 
look, it, it, anyone who's ever experienced grief knows that it doesn't just always just come pouring out the minute that someone picks up the phone to you. Sometimes you need the, the, the cappuccino or the drink in front of you for a little while before you're willing to kind of open up. And we're really, people are in very different mm-hmm. circumstances mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. How, how, I mean, how are you guys thinking yeah. about that? Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right because that's the second major differentiation between what's happening now. Um, like, you know, you could say grieving is like private and emotional, but the process of grief and how we cope with it is social. Mm. And um, one of the things that usually helps us in the early times is the script of the funeral, you know, so the wake yeah. and the funeral and all of yeah. those are collective pieces. So while they might have functions of helping you come to the reality of the death and helping in the transition of a person for, um, from being physically in your life to being more in in the heart of your life the third function of them are to provide comfort um and that's just not there in the same yeah. way um and and that's an, a second a secondary loss if you like to the bereaved mm. person because they would have always assumed that was there for them mm. now people are reaching in you know, there are other ways and particularly around in the early days after a death. Um, so you find people are making extra efforts to, you know, to text, to connect, mm-hmm. um, to phone. Um, but you have precisely put your finger on it there, Sasha. It's over time. How does this mm-hmm. connection maintain? Um, and I suppose if there's if there's one message that people could take away in terms of support, and um, the thing I always think about is be persistent in your support. Mm. Um, so think of the person in the weeks and the months after. Provide some of those spontaneous spaces to to have a chat. Mm. Um, and and often people can feel maybe awkward reaching into a bereaved person. Um, I think in these extraordinary times, the message is, you know, sort of suck it up. Don't feel so bad about it. Try. The worst thing a person could say is, I, I'm not, I'm not up for a chat just now. Mm. Persist. And, and I guess the other piece is that, um, to some extent, it does put an extra um, sort of choice or burden on the bereaved person to also reach out. So if you have been getting cards or texts or phones, phone calls, answer them. Um, maybe, you know, say, great, maybe we'll talk next week. And then initiate some of these yeah. conversations. You know, it's, it's, it's not what you'd expected you had to do, you would have to do. Um, but, it, but these are options sort of available to you. Mm. And the other thing, actually, sorry for rabbiting on, but the other piece that I've noticed is um, um, people are contacting folk that they haven't necessarily talked to in a long while. You know, so yeah. it's an opportunity to to reconnect. Um, so so people who maybe you worked with years ago, who would have known the person who died, um, and they might have liked to have known, but because of the natural network not operating as as effectively, they haven't found out that a person has died. You know, make a point of of helping people. To, to know mm. what's happened, what's happened to you. Um, and because you have so much time on your hands, I think that's the other bit. Um, time's or, or, mm. Mm. How important is it as well, Orla, I think, to remember as well the people that, it, you know, as Sasha was saying, that it's not just um, six months down the line, but it could be two years down the yes. line. And yes. it could be, like, we have a significant birthday on Saturday and I know it's, Martin not being here is playing very much in our minds mm. because mm. we're at home 
<laughs> and we've plenty of time to think. And that even becomes more isolating because at this point, there's almost an expectation that, well, it's the third time they've done the birthday, you know, they're in a better place or whatever. But no matter how much you might have thought you'd move forward, suddenly you feel like you've taken so many steps backward. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you're locked into that. Yeah. So, you, mm. you know, any of the the choices or distractions that you might have decided to say, look, this year we're going to do something different, that that bit of choice has been um, taken from you. Um, so, so I think people can find that coming in on them as a, as a, as an extra layer um you're so right um and i think we need to be careful not to develop like a, a hierarchy of grief that it's the that it's the grief at this time that is maybe worse and so significantly important of course it's 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 horrendous and it's horrible but on an individual basis um everybody's grief counts and that's the one you're dealing with um, and that's the one you're maybe revisiting and trying to work with in the confines of your own apartment or your own home or your own kitchen um, and uh, if, 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 if there's anything I'll go back to it let people reach in to you Venetia now mm. yeah, you've said it good let your friends and acquaintances say god yeah um, maybe I'll give her a text or I'll write her a note um, mm. and people should start to, to maybe to try and I think act on their heart because while we're saying that the community is um, obviously assaulted with all these changes and um, feeling that the sort of the ground has been wiped from under them because everything we assumed um, is right about the way death happens and the way grieving happens has been has been rattled um, the maybe the plus side of that is I do think that people's hearts are open now in communities mm. we're talking about you listen to the media you look at the newspapers we're very death sensitive now and people want to help um, so maybe it's up to us to give them some just steers on, on, yeah. on what they can do. Do you feel, Orla, that we might see some interesting developments in terms of how we, like once this is over, and I know everyone keeps talking about once this is over, and we don't know when that is. Once this is over. Mm. But obviously there will be developments and it will, it will change. Do you think we might see an increase in Ireland in terms of like, less traditional ways of marking a death so maybe memorial services or ways that people like will will people go back and look at i hope they do where instead of just saying look no one got to go to the funeral and that's that and we just move on that maybe we might have small gatherings we might have ways that we develop our relationship with that process yeah, it, and it's an interesting one. And again, I think it relates to the notion of time because when you're normally planning a funeral or a, a memorial, you're doing it in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, whereas now people will have weeks and months, you know, to, mm. to, to plan such a thing. Um, and they could well take different shapes. And the idea is that they're, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be different. Um, I'd imagine they probably become more celebratory and more in honor and in tribute um, to the person who, who died, which makes me think then that 
we need to be doing maybe smaller types of memorials in the meantime. I, mm. I, I don't know that we should put everything off for yeah. six months or a year. Um, so obviously there's been some developments around maybe streaming funerals and that sort of thing. But again, families could look at, um, you know, having a, a, a maybe a virtual connection or a virtual ritual mm. of their own where they where they come together so again not necessarily mediated by a celebrant um but something where they say like on a mm. saturday night we're all going to play this piece of music mm. light yeah. a candle come together later for a chat you know so, so doing things that are symbolic and very meaningful to that family mm. and to the person who died. I, I think um, there's such an important role to that coming together that we shouldn't put it off entirely. And people are being creative. Yeah, when we first started this over a year ago, there was, there was this huge stigma around grief and talking about grief and how we deal with grief in Ireland. And since then, um, just in general, a conversation seems to have opened up about, mm. you mm. know, how we approach grief, how we talk to the person who's bereaved, all that sort of stuff. Now, as you said, it's on the forefront of everybody's minds because, you know, everybody is being touched by the fact that people can't be with their loved ones when they're dying and the dying can't be with their loved ones. C can there be a good thing out of this that we actually start talking about it and becoming more open about grief when the person is living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. I think that equates to empathy and, and, and that's there for tapping. Um, I think there might be some other maybe more directed things that, that, that we could do is um, to maybe to talk about the variety of ways that people experience grief because you know talking will be really important to some people they need to rework their the story of what happened and they need to maybe they need to be emotional with their trusted friends and and have a um, you know, I suppose what we what we tend to think about grief is as as real sadness, um, whereas grief is more than just sadness. And some people may not outwardly talk; they might do things in their grief. So we talk about people who feel their grief and people who do their grief or act out their grief, mm -hmm. um, and that that's as valid. Um, a way of grieving so for example um, uh, and, and sometimes this is looked at around gender lines you know that, that some people just men in particular may not be as expressive as women mm. it doesn't mean that they're not grieving and um, they're finding different ways of channeling that yeah. grief um, I think typically for a guy from my own experience um, you know, as Sasha was saying earlier about going for a drink with guys, and I don't mean to generalise, but it's just mm. my own experience, that it would be going to the pub, having a few drinks, and then it comes out. Whereas women would be much more chatty on the phone and texting. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and we have we call that sort of styles of grief. And like you said, it's yeah. not necessarily just guys, but some women have that style as well. They're just yeah. not expressive. So for those people who rely, I suppose, on maybe the little bit of Dutch courage, shall we say, to, to open to open up, like how would you, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, it's clear that um, 
you know, alcohol and drugs aren't a good coping strategy say, yeah. over time. Mm. Um, but also what, I, what you would say to them is, well, well, how is your grief? What's, what's the hardest thing about it? And um, how, does it, how does it work out for you? You know, what, what is it like grieving? And, and, and they might say, well, the worst thing is that um, I don't know how to um, manage the children in the way my wife would have. Very practical yeah. things about being there for them. Um, and sometimes that can be the, the, the way a thinker or a planner mm. or an organizer um, channels their grief into trying to solve this type of problem that their emotional need is not as high as their need to um you know take back some control and mm. um, those people might be more inclined to maybe work out their grief through exercise or physically energizing mm. themselves in that way and that's valid um so um i suppose the the bursts through alcohol are valid of course but it doesn't mean they're not grieving the rest of the time mm. it's that we don't always acknowledge that as grief because we all have a, a relatively singular idea about what grief is but grief happens in our body and in our thoughts and um, as much as in our in our feelings and um, so i think we could we could acknowledge that we've talked a lot about how anger plays a role too because you know, I think for me, it was, I know, this might sound really naive. I know it sounds naive, but anger was a surprise to me. I was mm. very surprised. Mm. Maybe because mm. I, I wasn't like an angry person leading up to, I wasn't familiar, as familiar with it. But boy, boy did I become very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. And I couldn't believe it. And I didn't like it. I didn't, I really didn't like it because I didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. um, in these circumstances, I can, I would, I'm, maybe I'm making presumptions because I, you know, I haven't gone through it in these circumstances, but I would imagine anger will play a role too because of the lack of control. So if mm -hmm. you're dealing with mm -hmm. not being there when the person dies, even though it's not your fault, yeah even though it's there's nothing that could be done to avoid it you still might find you're angry at yourself or you're angry at the world at large because yeah. if this thing happens yeah yeah and that this is not the way you wanted it to yeah. be and i think the important thing is that you're you're you don't judge yourself for that anger and you you allow yourself it um because sometimes um some of our feelings aren't as sort of palatable or, or as acceptable as others so mm. anger irritability and um, which are valid types of of grief um might be harder to express or might be harder for other people to accept and they and they want to say no don't be angry and um, I, I know you couldn't manage it but it's not your fault and they shut down the yeah expression of it and um, so it really is to allow it as a just and a reasonable response and you're angry at the world you know it's it's not blame so much as anger and um, so it, sh it should be allowed um Venetia, uh, i just wanted to say you know yeah. the work that you guys are doing um is really remarkable because i can't imagine what it's like to have to think on your feet this fast and I can't imagine what it's like to be a place that people turn to <laughs> in, in, in a time like this because um, so many, maybe more, there's so many more people engaging with what you do and, and looking at what you do and looking at resources and looking for 
you know, it, it, it's got to be really overwhelming. And so I, from my perspective, we, I thank you guys for everything you're, you're doing because it's not mm. an easy position to be in right now. I guess we'll all be learning going forward as to what the next stages are with this. Mm. Um, but thank you so much for joining us and for taking the time out to talk about all this. No problem at all. Thanks, Sasha. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.